Our readings today have to do with divisions among the people of God and how harmful that is to the mission of God when the people are not focused on accomplishing what God has given them to do, but rather who is in and who is out, whose job it is to be in charge, who's the most important, etc., etc. Unless you think that that's just a time or that's just a problem in Bible times, in the time of Moses, or in the time of Jesus, and not a, uh, a problem today, let me assure you that that's not the case. That still, especially within the church, there are divisions that cause us to not be able to fulfill the mission that God's given us to the fullness of our potential. I think, for example, in Chicago, of all the parishes that were built, beautiful parishes by very faithful people, but this parish was for the Germans, this parish was for the Irish, this parish was for the Italians, etc., etc., etc. Where the church kind of existed, it was, it was there to fulfill the mission of saving souls, of giving people the sacraments, but it was our church. The Irish had their church, the Italians had their church, the Germans had their church, and it was our church, and we were proud of it, we built it, and you're not welcome here, right? If you're not one of us. And I'm sure as heck not going to go to that church because I know I won't be welcome there. And surely those ethnic divisions still exist, even though the demographics of Chicago have changed so much. I remember when I was still in the seminary, one of the first parishes I ever worked at, and I was just starting to learn Spanish, it was my first encounter with the division between a, a large uh, contingent of Hispanic immigrants and sort of the Anglo population, the English-speaking population that was a little bit perturbed that Okay, all of a sudden we have Spanish Mass, and there's Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I remember hearing a lady once say to me, why are the children crowning their Mary? Because <laughs> it was Our Lady of Guadalupe. I thought to myself, they don't have their own Mary. It's <laughs> Mary is all of ours, right? And there was, it went both ways, right? That this was their uh, event, this was our event, etc., etc. And I remember something that the priest said to me once, a priest I very much look up to. He said, it's like they don't realize that their neighbors are also Catholic. And it really struck me. It, it, it's very much like what Jesus says in the gospel today when John says, hey, those guys over there are trying to prophesy in your name, but they're not one of us. They don't belong to our tribe. And Jesus says, whoever's not against us is for us. Nobody can do a mighty deed in my name without my father blessing him, without him being part of our family, part of our group. Whoever's not against us is for us, giving people the benefit of the doubt, recognizing that my neighbor is on the same team. This is something I think we've struggled with in the Catholic Church especially, because one rule of thumb to me is, if we were acting like this at the beginning of Christianity, not 2,000 years after Jesus arose and risen from the dead and the church was established, if the first apostles were dealing with a church where people said, if you take away my mass time, I'm going to stop donating to the church, sort of things that you hear sometimes in parishes. Now with a pre-shortage, we're not able to have as many masses. I'm going to stop donating if you don't do what I want. If that was the predominant attitude of Christians in 0 AD or 33 AD, when the, the mission was first beginning, people would say, this is just some club that they're in where they only pay their dues if they get what they want, not some mission to evangelize the world with the good news of Jesus risen from the dead and the love of God and neighbor being the one rule of life. It took people witnessing to that, not just the priests and the apostles and the bishops, but everybody. 
And this is something that Vatican II tried very much to revive, the sense of what they called the universal call to holiness. That holiness is not the property of just a select few, the saints or the pope or the priests or the nuns. Holiness is something that belongs to all of God's people. In one of the documents of Vatican II, Lumen Gentium, said all the faithful of Christ of whatever rank or status are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity. All of us, bishops, priests, deacon, laymen, laywomen, children, the elderly, everybody is called to the fullness of the Christian life and the perfection of charity. Our first reading from Numbers is Moses, who, Moses had a tough life. After he had uh, brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then brought down the commandments and had to crush them once because everybody had built a golden calf and everybody was just... Uh, so hard to, to shepherd. And Moses had, had done his best to do what God asked him to do, is to keep the people of Israel together so that he could bring them to the promised land. And he was the one way that, God, that people could get a message from God. He was the one prophet when people needed uh, conflict resolved or a word of hope in a time of distress or sorrow. They'd go to Moses because he had the word of God. And his father-in-law was telling him, you're crazy, you're going to kill yourself you got to delegate some of this stuff. And so God says, Bring me 70 of the elders whom you choose to the tent, and I will uh, send my spirit upon them so that they can prophesy. So he picks the 70 best, and two of them stay home. They don't come to the meeting. Maybe they slept in. Maybe they're up too late the night before. I don't know why they didn't come. But anyways, they still receive the spirit of God. They're not in the tent when the glory of God comes down, but they still get the spirit of God. And then they're just prophesying like in their town, in their house. And people are saying, wait a minute, you're not part of their group. And Joshua hears about it, who's Moses' assistant, and says, these guys are prophesying uh, in the spirit of God and they weren't at the meeting. Can you tell them to stop? And Moses says, "Uh, are you jealous for me? (laughs) Because this isn't my property. This isn't what I, you know, how I make a living. This is my mission. This is what God's given me to do. And he says, would that all of the people of God had the spirit of the Lord. Would that they were all prophets. Wouldn't that be nice? If we didn't just have to go to one person to get the word. But if all of us were witnesses, if all of us were faithful. So that's the universal call to holiness, is that we're all called to be disciples. Not just a few, but all of us to have our lives totally revolve around Christ. And this is a totally different vision of Christianity than many of us grew up with. This idea of discipleship, of a daily picking up your cross and following Christ, every single one of us, in the pews or up here. Because there's kind of three myths that we've believed, I think. One is that there's a two-track system. There's saint and then ordinary Catholic. That the saints are people like Catherine of Siena, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Ignatius, St. Paul, St. Peter, the martyrs, uh, the virgins, the, the, the priests, the bishops, the deacons, the, the, lay, the, the religious men and women, those people who really gave their all, and then there's all of us who are kind of average Catholics. But there is no average Catholic. All of us are called to be saints, no matter what our vocation is. So all of us, there's no ordinary Catholic, there's only extraordinary vocations, callings. The second is that if you do that, if you answer this calling, it'll somehow make you weird. That you'll be a weirdo. Nobody will want to have you over for dinner because, oh, they always talk about Jesus. 
and the religion is super important to them, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. But no, being a disciple of Christ doesn't make you weird. Striving for holiness makes you who you are. When God made you, you were like a light bulb. And you didn't make sense until you were plugged into the socket. That's your mission. That's God. And once you plug it in, then it's all of a sudden lit up. And it all of a sudden makes sense. And it gives light to everything around it. That's the person who is totally connected to their mission in life. And the third myth is that it's automatic. If I just go to church, or if I just pray, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, faith is really important to me. I haven't been to church in the last year, but I really love God. And I don't doubt them. Of course, I'm sure it's, a, it's your own personal relationship with God. I'm sure you have, or, or people have, whatever they feel is a relationship with God. But you can tell what's important to a person by how they spend their time, what they spend their money on, what they search for on Google or Amazon. You can tell what's important to people by what they do, not just what they say or think or feel. It's not automatic. It must be put into practice. So all of us are called to this fidelity, and all of us are called to the fidelity put into practice. And this is where Jesus is kind of non-sequitur after he tells them, whoever's not against us is for us. Don't prohibit him. All of us are on the same team here. He says this kind of strange non-sequitur that doesn't really make sense where it's at. He says, anyone who gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, a man, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. It's about humility and generosity. Giving just a cup of water to someone who belongs to Christ is the most important thing you might do today. Some act of generosity, without thinking about whose job that is or who should really be doing that, just simply because I'm a Christian, I'm doing this act of generosity, will remind you who you are and what mission you're on, whose mission you're trying to accomplish. Finish with this, just yesterday, I went for my first time to the jail, 26th in California. That same priest who I was with uh, at that parish is now a bishop, and his last assignment was uh, at the Colby House, the mission to, to the jail, to visit the imprisoned. And now that he's a bishop, he won't be able to do it as much, and he wants priests to volunteer who are around this neighborhood to go over and spend some time every month to, for those guys who need confession or sacraments, communion, etc. And um, I know I come off as a pretty street-hardened, tough guy most of the time, but uh, I've never been to the jail. Uh, it was a little bit intimidating. And uh, we walked in there, and uh, he's assigned me to the maximum security, of course, uh, Division 9, which honestly wasn't as maximum security as I was kind of hoping. <laughs> you just sort of walk in there, and many of them are... Many of the, of the gentlemen are just walking around in their jumpsuits and can come up and shake your hand. And I, I just walked in, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I should be shaking hands. Some of them are handcuffed. And, but it was very free-flowing, and it was just as if we were equals in many ways. I was able to leave, of course, but, and they were not. But we engaged in a, a very, very courteous and, and understanding. And people were just interested in, oh, the priests are here. They wanted to hear a word of hope. They wanted to, are you guys giving out holy cards, prayer cards? Can we pray with you? Can you give us a word of, of hope? Preach on the Bible? And at one point, I was by myself, and, and the bishop was off talking to someone else, and I heard uh, from upstairs, they had a little kind of row of cells upstairs, and some of the men were locked in their cells, and I just heard, Hey, Father! Hey, Father! And through the little window, like on the lower part of the door, there's two hands coming out. Hey, Father! Come on! Come on! 
And again, I'm, I'm pretty tough, but it's still, it was a little bit scary. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll go up there, and, and I just kind of took a knee, and I looked through, and there's two guys in there. And they say, hey, we got questions about the Bible. And I said, yeah, yeah, if Jesus is God, then how come he's talking to God in the Bible? And then I began a little discourse on the Trinity. <laughs> on my knee, to two men, through a hole, locked in a jail cell. And for about 10 minutes, we talked back and forth, and they're like, oh, interesting. Okay, so God's, that's the Trinity. God is three persons and one God. And we're, going, we're having a little CCD class through the window of a jail cell. And I thought to myself, it was like an out-of-body experience, and after I left, I prayed about it, and I thought, thank God for that bishop bringing me over there, because here I am, I think, oh, I'm the big fancy director of the Newman Center, and look at me, I'm a priest, and I could very easily take myself very seriously, as all of us could. But the mission is this, to give a cup of water to someone thirsty, to feed someone hungry, to give a word of hope to someone in despair, to visit someone imprisoned. And if the mission, if I'm here to serve the mission, and not the mission here to serve me, then the kingdom will start to bear fruit. Then I will realize that my life is about something much bigger than my own needs, my own desires, my own faults and failings and idiosyncrasies. I've become part of a greater kingdom and useful to a God who wants to send me to love and to serve his people.